Well, greetings to everyone, those of you who are live and in person, those of you who are watching online today. We're glad that you have joined with us as well. Those in some of our venues or other campus, it's just good to be together. Before I get into the message, I just want to give you one quick announcement, and that is that this is actually the last weekend of our fiscal year. Here's a church. It ends on June 30th, so we're wrapping it up here very, very shortly. And we've had a most unusual year, to say the least. But God has been faithful, and He has seen us through, and uh, we have continued to carry out the priorities that we had set in place at the start of the year, and God has been gracious. It's looked a little bit different, but uh, it's been good, and we've seen God move in wonderful, wonderful ways, and we've seen that the ministry can continue because of your faithfulness. And so we're wrapping this up. It's the end of our fiscal year, which means it's the end of our financial year, and we're coming right down to the wire on this, and we still have a little bit of a deficit that we're running, so we would uh, just encourage you to be praying. I know that we sent a letter a while back And we've been talking about this a little bit. So I hope you've already been praying. And I just want to thank you for those of you who've responded. And if God would still be laying that on your heart, we would encourage you to jump in as well so that we might finish strong so that we can get started strong for the year to come. So just want to lay that out there before you as a need and just ask you to go ahead and respond as the Lord would lead you. Can we pray now? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the way that you've sustained us. And not just that we've gotten by, but Lord, that we have thrived because of your presence, because of the faithfulness, because of the generosity of this congregation. And uh, we're excited about what's happened, and we're especially excited about what's coming. And uh, Lord, finishing strong helps us to get started strong. And uh, so we just ask that you would move in your people. You like to do your work through people. And so we just pray that we would be responsive to the way that you would lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the places that I have never been that is most definitely on my bucket list is Australia and New Zealand, and I'd love to go. So whenever I see an article or something that deals with that location, I'm tempted to read it and look at it. And I saw one recently, and it talked about something that was a little bit odd, I thought, and that is they've got these, these animals, these wild dogs. They call them dingoes. That's not the strange thing about it, but they don't want these dogs to get into certain places in the country, in Australia, and so they build a fence so the dogs wouldn't get into certain locations. Now, you might be saying, hold on a second. They can just go wherever the fence stops and out and around. Yeah, so this is a long, long fence. It's a big country, so it's a big fence. This fence goes on for over 5,600 kilometers. (laughs) Just think about that for a moment. That is one big fence, to say the least. To put it in perspective, that would be a fence essentially in America that would stretch from the southern tip of Florida, the Atlantic and the southern tip of Florida, all the way to beyond Seattle and the Pacific. One continuous fence. It's that long. It's longer than it would be from Boston to London. That's how long this fence is. They have 23 employees just to maintain the fence. There are no employees who are maintaining this fence. (laughs) I don't know where this is. I don't know why they built it. But uh, here is a different sort of fence. There are lots of fences that you see out there. Some are kind of strange. Some are sort of different. In America, we like to build fences that are animal and pet friendly like this one. 
So, so the dog can see its way to the other side of the fence. That's the deluxe version. Here's the economy model. Yeah, just kind of pokes his head through, through the fence there. But I think my, my favorite fence of all is this one. What's the point? I mean, what's the point of having... Can you see what it says? Keep gate closed. It's like, what difference does it make? It's not connected to anything else. And I think my favorite part of this is there's actually, it's hard to see, but there's a lock on this gate. <laughs> like, we don't want you to go through the gate. Okay, fine, I'll just walk around. What is the point? I'm not sure exactly what the point is or if there is a point. Hey, today we're going to be talking about continuing on with our series, Love Where You Live, which has been a series where we've been talking about neighbors and we've been talking about neighborhoods. Well, when you think about that, as you think, as you picture, as you walk through, as you drive through a neighborhood, you inevitably are going to see fences. And fences have something to do with neighbors and neighborhoods. And we're going to talk about that today, not so much about physical fences that we might see in neighborhoods, but rather the figurative fences that exist all around us in the neighborhoods where we live. Now, there's an adage that is out there. I'm sure that you've heard it. And it talks about neighbors and it talks about fences. And it goes like this. It says that good fences make good neighbors. You've heard that, right? Good fences make good neighbors. It actually comes from a poem written by Robert Frost. The poem is called Mending Wall. You can go, you can look it up later on and see it for yourself. And it's widely interpreted to mean that good fences make good neighbors, meaning it's valuable to have separation from your neighbor. It's, if you're wanting to experience the greatest harmony possible, it's good that you're not on top of one another and you've got a separation to keep you apart. And I understand why that's sort of the conclusion that people draw, and they think that that's what that phrase means. There's just one problem. It's not what it means. In fact, in the poem, it actually means exactly the opposite. And there's another problem, and that is that it's just plain out bad advice as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't use discretion in how much time you're together with your neighbor, or that you shouldn't use some discretion with how often you go over when they're out on the deck. Every time they are, you're over there and you're hanging out with them. You know, use some discretion with that for sure. It's going to be hard to develop a friendship after they take out the restraining order against you. So be sensitive to be sure, no doubt about that. But sometimes there are artificial fences that we allow to be erected between us and our neighbors, or maybe that we even intentionally have put up between us and them, figuratively speaking, because we've wanted to have some sort of extra separation between us and them. And when those sort of fences go up, there are some hindrances that happen in the nature of what that relationship can be. And I want to take a look at those today because we want to figure out how we best love where we live. And this is an important topic to consider. So we're going to be talking today about tearing down fences. That's what we're actually going to be calling this today, tearing down fences fences. It's very important that we would do this and that we would do it in an appropriate manner with our neighbor. So we're going to actually take a look at a variety of different scriptures to understand what this is about. And because we're going to different places, uh, we're just going to put the verses on the screen or most of them so that you can see them and you don't have to flip between all of them. But I know some of you want to flip between all of them and that's awesome. So let me just give you a little heads up where we're going. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5. We're going to go to 1 Peter 3, and then we're going to come back to Luke 7. Luke 5, 1 Peter 3, and then back to Luke 
7. So that'll give you a little bit of a heads up. Now, as we take a look at each fence or obstacle, we're going to offer you a step that will help you to move in a better direction so that we might be able to overcome some of the fences that naturally get erected between people, okay? So here's the first of those. The first step is to accept differences. To accept differences. This is for the outline that's there in your pathway notes. Now, I'm just guessing that I don't need to tell you that there are people who disagree with you in your neighborhood. That should not be news to you. In fact, I had some evidence of that in my own neighborhood. It was in the 2016 presidential election. Just standing in my yard, I could see yard signs in other people's yards in the neighborhood surrounding mine. There was one that was promoting the Republican candidate for president. There was one that was promoting the Democratic candidate. There was one that was promoting the independent candidate. And there was one that was promoting Ross Perot, who hadn't even run for president since 1996 and wasn't running that year either. But it was, it was out there. The fact is there are people in your neighborhood who feel differently about things than you do. It's true when it comes to politics, and it's true when it comes to everything else also. And that's not an exaggeration at all. In many contexts today, we allow those differences then to come in and build a fence, especially when somebody puts the yard sign out. Oftentimes, that's the thing that signals, well, I'm not going to get along with them And so I'm just going to keep my distance. I'm going to allow that to be a fence that is built that keeps me from ever entering into that person's life or choosing to go toward them. We choose to go away from them instead because of the signals that we've already had. Jesus was a master of tearing down fences or never letting them be built in the first place. He was a master of accepting the differences that existed and even using them and allowing allowing them to open doors between him and other people people, even people who might be in sin. Now, Jesus himself, of course, was perfect. Jesus was sinless, but he came in this, into this world to love those who were in sin, to live among us, and to love sinners. And we can read about one of those occasions in Luke chapter 5. That's a hint to go there if you're going to. Luke chapter 5. It's there that Jesus encounters a man named Levi. The scriptures also call him Matthew. Levi was a tax collector, A tax collector. All tax collectors in those days were despised because, well, because they were tax collectors. That's why they were despised. They had a reputation for ripping people off. That not they didn't just collect the tax that was owed, but they collected more beyond that so they might line their own pockets. And the problem for Levi specifically is that he's a Jewish man who's collecting taxes from the Jews for the Romans. That was not a good position to be in, and he was ripping them off besides and pocketing extra for himself. It would be a little bit like me going down to Heinz Field and, uh, as, a, as a Steelers fan and scalping tickets to other Steelers fans at ridiculous prices and pocketing almost all of the money for myself and giving the leftover to the Ravens. That's what this would be like, all right? You're sort of selling out your own people for something. That's what was going on here with Levi. I'm just going to venture a guess that that would not make me or you, if you did it, a fan favorite. And neither was Levi. Neither was Levi at all. So along comes Jesus, and he calls Levi to follow him. And Levi chooses to do so, maybe because of faith, maybe because of curiosity. But he follows after Jesus. Here's the way that Luke puts it for us in Luke 5. 
Beginning in verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when Jesus came into our world, he came on a mission to engage people where they were and to love them. So when he gets this invitation to go to Levi's house and have this meal with all of these different tax collectors, that had been a party you wouldn't have wanted to miss. Jesus is like, I'm going. I'm going to be there for sure. You couldn't keep me away, he essentially is saying. What a perfect chance to invest in a group of people that you might not otherwise have the opportunity to encounter. The fact that he's accepting the difference and he's not pushing Levi away because he's a tax collector and I don't want anything to do with you is the very thing that puts him in an environment where he has the opportunity to speak to people that otherwise he might not have had. So that's pretty awesome the way that Jesus is being intentional about this. But the Pharisees object to this decision. They effectively say, look, those people aren't like you. Or they're not like who we think you ought to be like. And so what you ought to be doing is shunning them, not accepting them, not engaging them. They essentially are saying, build a fence. Keep yourself from them. Try to keep yourself pure and clean. Now, you know people like Levi. They're in your neighborhood. I know people like Levi. They are in my neighborhood. They view life differently. They hold values that are different from yours. They do things that you would never consider doing. Welcome to the neighborhood. Now, you've got an option, a choice. You can avoid them or you can engage them. To avoid them says, I'm more interested in comfort for me than connection with you. To engage them says, I'm interested in you. There's something about you that I value. I might not value all of your beliefs. I might not value all the differences that there are between us, but I'm going to accept them for now so that we might have the opportunity to engage, to connect, because I care about you. It tears down fences. Now, I understand if you feel discomfort with that idea because it might feel a bit like compromise or like you're endorsing everything that goes on in that house if you go and enter it. But that's not at all what it means. That's not what you're saying to walk inside the door. Entering the house of someone you disagree with doesn't mean you're compromising your values. In fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it means that you're living them out. To have the opportunity to connect and engage. Accepting differences doesn't mean that you adopt the differences for yourself. Or that you're going to be tainted and stained by them. Because you've had a conversation, or you've stepped in the house, or even shared a meal. It's just acknowledging that the differences exist, and you're refusing to let them alienate you from the person who holds them. Keep this in mind. Very important. Put it up here on the screen for you. If you avoid your neighbors so you're sure their values won't influence yours, you can be sure that your values won't influence theirs. Can I read that again? If you avoid your neighbor so you're sure their values won't influence yours, you can be sure that your values won't influence theirs. So accept the people who are behind the differences. Not embracing the differences, you're embracing the people so that you might have the opportunity to engage and get down to a level with them that allows there to be actually perhaps sometime be a conversation that deals with values 
where they're going to care to hear what you have to say. So, does that mean that any and every environment is a good one to enter into or to send your kids into? Let's not just worry about it. Let's opportunity for influence. Just go. No. Of course not. That is not what we're saying. You can certainly need to be discerning because not all situations are healthy and beneficial. But remember this. Just because something is uncomfortable does not mean that it's unhealthy. Just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's unhealthy. In fact, oftentimes, it's discomfort that God uses as a catalyst for growth in our lives because it sort of bubbles things up around us and we don't feel like quite as on a sure footing as before and so we need to consider it and we need to evaluate. And that can become the catalyst for growth when we get sort of shaken out of our, yeah, I know the answer to that. Yeah, I'm solid on this. He makes us think and process, and appropriately so. We can tear down fences as we accept differences, or at least accept the people behind the differences. That's one thing. Also, we can tear down fences as we set aside excuses. As we set aside excuses, sometimes when we feel reluctant toward engaging outside of our comfort zone, we can come up with reasons or excuses why I shouldn't do that, or that wouldn't be a good idea. One of those is time. One of those is time. One of the things that most all of us believe about our lives is that we're too busy. And chances are, you're probably right. You're probably right. But what isn't right is deciding that since we're too busy, that it's wise or justifiable to make the decision to eliminate certain things from our lives, to eliminate priorities that have been placed there for us or that God has instructed us toward because we're so busy, so I'm just going to pick and choose the things that are no longer going to be a part of my life. There's no wisdom in doing that. We don't say that we're too busy to eat. We find the opportunity to eat. We don't say we're too busy to sleep. We might say it. Some of us cheat sleep more than what we should, but we still find the opportunity. I hope that you never say that you don't have time to spend with your spouse or with your kids. Well, there's another priority that we've been given, and that's to be a neighbor. Yes, a neighbor. It's on the same level with the other things that we've been called to do. Jesus did not say, love your neighbor as yourself if you can find the time. That's not what he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look, if there was ever anyone who was doing critical work, critical enough work to be on, consistently on the go, it was Jesus to not have any downtime. But even he stopped working and got away. And he tells his disciples, you need to do the same thing. In fact, it says it this way in Mark's Gospel. It says, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Grab a Red Bull and let's keep going. Yeah. All right, he didn't say that. Here's what he said. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus knew the value of margin. He knew the value of margin. He knew that there was a need to get away, to have balance in our lives. Balance that included time for work, yes. Family, sure. Rest, absolutely. And neighbors. 
and neighbors. It's right there in the Scriptures. When we excuse our neglect because we just don't have the time, we're not just busy, we're ignoring our call. It's that significant. It's not like, no, I'm so busy that these are the three things that I I can still put in my life, but these are the things I'm going to have to trim out. How often are neighbors the ones that go? It just makes us imbalanced. It doesn't bring us greater balance. Your life's not more in order because you're so busy and you've appropriately ordered things. It's getting you out of step with where it is that you ought to be. So let me offer you one quick point, one quick real practical point when it comes to this. It's this one right here. Be interruptible. We need to learn to be interruptible. I'm not the greatest at this. But we need to learn this skill. When your coworker stops in your office, stop what you're doing. Give them your full attention. There's nothing that says, please leave, quite like continuing to look at your computer screen while they're there. Or continuing to look at your phone or texting, for heaven's sakes. You know how you feel when other people do that to you. What you're saying is, I'm not interested in you. Every time you look at your screen, when there's somebody else there in the room, you're building a fence. Every time. We're trying to tear down those fences. Or when the neighbor comes over and you're mowing the lawn, don't keep sitting there on the lawn tractor and letting it run and having to scream over the top of saying to them essentially, I really wish you'd go. Turn it off. Fully engage with them. Every time you're interruptible and don't let busyness stand in the way of your relationship, the fences are coming down. The fences are coming down and relationships are springing up. One excuse that you sometimes use, that I sometimes use, is is time. Another one is fear. There are all sorts of fears that could keep you from engaging your neighbor. Maybe it's, well, I I, I want to reach out to them, but I'm afraid I'm going to get rejected. So I'm not going to reach out at all. Or maybe your fear is, I'm going to reach out and I'm not going to get rejected and they're going to become clingy. Another fear is, well, they're going to find out that I'm a churchgoer and they're going to have questions for me that I can't answer. Or maybe they're just going to be antagonistic toward me because more and more people are toward churchgoers. And how am I supposed to respond if they ask something I don't know? Well, you can always just respond with that which you do know. You can respond out of your own testimony, out of your own faith and what the Lord has done for you. Or you can say to them just honestly, you know what, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. And I want to be sure that I get it right, so let me come back to you with that. And then be sure that you do. But I can tell you this, it's going to be a different conversation if it comes out of the context of two friendly neighbors than it's going to be if there's some antagonism that's going on there because they're just trying to trap you because you don't have the the foundation of a relationship. It's just superficial, and so one's trying to trap the other or, or stump them. It can be a very different conversation. Living neighborly is going to alter the trajectory of most every conversation that you have. The Apostle Peter wrote, 1 Peter 3 now. The Apostle Peter wrote, verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? It's going to be the very rare neighbor who's going to return your kindness with hostility. goes on, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. 
do not be frightened. As we invest in relationship, it'll create an environment where we'll stop using excuses because we'll make the time and we'll lose the fear. You'll tear down fences. And it'll leave you loving where you live. Then there's one more critical element here to tearing down fences in the neighborhoods, and it's to receive kindness. This one's so important. There's another one I'm not the best at. Nobody likes to be the one who's always on the receiving end of kindness. Well, there's probably a few people who do. But for most of us, we don't always, or we don't really even hardly ever want to be the one who's getting the kindness. We're more than happy to give it. But we're not all that excited about getting it. It sort of feels to us like we're doing them a favor if we don't ask or if we just don't make them give anything to us. They still have that in their resources, so we're doing them a favor. No, we're not. We're not doing them a favor at all. It just makes them feel weak or needy, even if you don't think that they are weak and needy. When you're constantly the giver and never the receiver, that's going to be the result. So if you want to develop a friendship and not a project, learn to receive. If you want to develop a friendship and not just have a project to give toward, and never, you've got to learn to receive. See, the value of the kindness shown back and forth doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't mean you have to keep tabs, and it's like, well, they gave me a gift, it was this much, so my gift back has to be that much. And it doesn't have to be keeping score. But there does have to be some reciprocity, something going back and forth in order for the friendship to really grow. Jesus knew the value of receiving. On one occasion, he was dining at a Pharisee's house in Luke. Now we're in Luke 7. He tells us a little something about that occasion. Verse 37. Here's what the text says. It says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him and at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Immediately, the Pharisees upset that Jesus has allowed this woman to approach him, let alone the fact that she's wasted this perfume. So why does Jesus allow this? Does Jesus need this from the woman? No, of course not. Jesus knows that there's a tremendous blessing that is being given to the woman to let her bring this blessing to him. He's choosing to receive and there's an enormous blessing that goes to the person giving, not just the person receiving. For many of us, it's going to make us more uncomfortable to be on the receiving end of kindness. But no friendship is ever going to progress very far without it. There needs to be a balance. Don't be the exclusive giver. Don't be the exclusive receiver. Let it go back and forth. That will tear down fences. Now, as most of you know, we get, we've got a challenge connected to this series. And that challenge is to take a significant step of personal connection with someone with whom right now you just have a superficial connection. 
a superficial relationship or maybe no real relationship at all. Maybe they just moved into the neighborhood. Maybe you're going to meet them tomorrow to take a significant step of personal connection with someone with whom you don't or you only have a superficial relationship now. That's the project. And I'm starting to hear some stories back from some people, and, and they're encouraging to hear ones that have happened or ones that are sort of getting set up to happen. I heard from one Pathway person last week who said that they were trying to figure out who in their neighborhood that they were going to reach out to, and they weren't completely sure who that, that should be. There was, one, there was one person, one family in the neighborhood that thought, well, I think that's probably the one, but there was a little bit of reluctance to actually stepping forward this, and wouldn't you know it, that person in the neighborhood that she was thinking, you know, maybe that's the one, that person reached out to her, the pathway person, and said, I think we should connect. I think the Lord is in that one, don't you? I think absolutely, absolutely. So I think that story is super cool, and I love hearing that, and I can't wait to hear the stories that you have to share, but that's probably not going to be your experience. For most of us, we're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to step out. We're going to have to step forward, and that's what this whole challenge is about, to have to take a significant step of personal connection with someone with which you only have a superficial relationship now. Now, we've put the challenge out there that this would be completed by the end of the series. The series is over July 11th, so about two weeks to go. And so I would encourage you to be praying about that. I hope you've been praying already, but you'd actually be taking the steps to get this done. And if you're willing, I would love to hear your story once you've gotten through this. It's no accident that you are in the neighborhood that you're in or that you have the neighbors that you have. No accident. I don't know all that God is going to lead you to in the relationships that you're working to advance in this regard, but I know that it's going to be good. And as you accept differences, that you don't just allow them to be the thing, the lens through which you see that other person, but you allow that fence to go away and accept the differences. doesn't mean you agree with them. We've been through that. But you accept them for the sake of the relationship to develop. As you set aside excuses, I'm just too busy to be a friend. I'm afraid of what might happen if I move in that space. And as you receive kindness, you're going to tear down fences. And when that happens, you're going to be loving where you live. And I pray that all of us would take this seriously. This isn't just one of those sort of side things that are there in the Scriptures, and, and yeah, we, we probably should do that, but if we don't get to it, it's not like the other things. No, it is like the other things. It's central to what God intends for us, because ultimately, relationship with God very frequently comes through relationship with others. And if you want to have influence, if you want to fulfill the call of God on your life, then you're going to get serious about tearing down fences and loving where you live. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, this continues to challenge this idea of loving where we live. This is pushing some of us outside of our comfort zone, to say the least. It's oftentimes just really comfortable to live behind fences, to let them stay there. Occasionally we'll peek over the top and we'll say a hello, but we're happy for it to go back up because it's just more comfortable. It's easier. There are never any tense moments or anxious moments to have to overcome. But Lord, I pray that you would just stir in us an internal tension that says, I can't continue to ignore the people who surround me. That we would be so unnerved by moving apart from what your will for us would be that it's going to feel more desirable to step out than to stay in, than to engage than to neglect. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage if we've yet to decide or extend an invitation or take some step toward this significant engagement. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the confidence, and that you'd give us success. You'd be preparing the way for the person that we're going to be inviting or the couple or the family, that they'd be disposed to saying yes. Absolutely. We're winding down on this, Lord. I just pray that you would make us intentional. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had here and your presence with us. Thank you for the example of Christ who is willing to step outside of what others would have thought would be appropriate so that he might give, an, uh, give us an example of what it means to truly be a neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love our neighbor as ourself and thereby tear down the fences around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking there are some neighbors who are beneath us or don't deserve our attention. I'm so thankful for the example of Jesus who loved us enough to pursue us and wants relationship with everyone, even the ones we might think aren't worthy. If you haven't already, now is the time to start praying about who God would want you to connect with more deeply and start making plans to do just that as we seek to love our neighbors well. Thanks again for watching online with us today. If you're joining online next week, we'll be celebrating communion together. So you can plan to have the elements ready wherever you are going to be participating with us. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.